record. That's great. Okay, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this topic called understanding the ecological footprint. I'm recording it because we have a number of students in isolation due to the current um, health situation in Sydney. So everyone needs to be opened up on 13.1. If you're at home or listening to this the first time, just pause this and go to chapter 13.1 so you can follow what we're doing. So this subtopic is about ecological footprint and biocapacity. And we're going to do this by looking at the textbook and we're going to do it by a worksheet that I've got here that I'm giving you. This worksheet is also available on campus and it's called Ecological Footprint Biocapacity and you'll be able to find it. If not, just email me if you have a problem with it. So that's the starting point. Now, in relation to this unit of work, what we're looking at is what is the impact humans are having on the environment and how we measure it. That's the key thing. So I've got some stuff on the board here, which is also in the worksheet that will be in your hands. How do we measure the Earth's ecological footprint? And they've given us one, two, three, four, five, six, seven things that we can use to measure what impact we're having on the environment. I'm going to talk about three of them to start with. The first one is about carbon. The second's about forests. The third's about cropland grazing land, followed by fishing grounds, the builds up land, and there's a section called global hectares in the textbook. Let's just have a look at a couple of them ourselves. First of all, carbon is easy to understand if you think about the life we live. Do you have a house where you have solar panels on the roof, or do you recycle water? Because the more you do that, your ecological footprint is actually quite good for the environment. Sadly, I don't, and I don't because I've got a really old house, and if I even walk on night tiles, I'm up for $30,000 to replace all the tiles. So you have old houses that make this really difficult to do, all right? I could probably get around it, but I don't want to run the risk, okay, of spending too much money. But the modern houses now that have been redeveloped make that possible to have a very low carbon footprint by doing things with your house through recycling, through storage of water, reusing water, through using energy, through solar panels. So that's the first one, and how we measure it. You can measure it by counting up. You get, they actually go to companies that sell, sell solar panels, and they have figures of sales. And from those sales, they can work out how many people and what regions of Sydney, in our case, or New South Wales or Australia, are actually making an effort. So then they can target those other places afterwards. Um, I'm not going to say anything about forests, because we all know a lot about forests, but I'm going to combine cropland and grazing land. On the weekend, I went into the Hunter Valley and I went up there for a wedding and we drove up there and driving through, you don't notice anything because if you drive through the Hunter Valley, there are two sorts of zones of ecological footprint. There's the zone of what's called the Lower Hunter Valley and if you do geography with me in year 11 and 12, we do a case study visiting a vineyard called Allendale and that Lower Hunter Valley around the Hunter Valley area has a pretty good ecological footprint because it's just mainly great grape growing and tourism. You go a bit further in from Singleton and you start heading to Denman or across to Scone, less, but more so Denman. You don't notice it because you drive down the road and they've just got trees on the verge. But after the wedding I came home from oh, at about 12 o'clock, I had to drive back about 50 k's to Singleton from this place we had the wedding reception at. And you could see the lights through the valley. And my daughter was with me, she said, what are all those lights? And she said, that's all the coal mining. You actually don't see it. You don't see the coal mining because they hide it from the road, okay? But if you do a satellite image of around Denman, you will see where all the open-cut miles 
our open cart mining happening. I'm not passing judgment on that because we need electricity and we're not having a debate about renewable and non-renewable here. What we are having a discussion about is what is the ecological footprint? So in the Hunter Valley, the lower Hunter Valley has a better ecological footprint than the upper Hunter Valley. The upper Hunter Valley is essentially horse country and mining. So they're the two parts of that equation. The other example, if you go over the, over the, over the, the big mountain, the Great Dividing Range, you've got grazing land and you've also got crops. Sugar is working, sorry, not sugar, cotton. Cotton is working really hard to reduce the amount of water that they are using, okay? Now, cotton uses a lot of water. What cotton does is, its water is used, and it's like hundreds of litres is required for the creation of one of these you know, shirts that you might be wearing, made out of cotton. It's very strange to think that actually something that grows from the land turns into cotton, and then you, you make material from it. So the ecological footprint of cotton is improving, but it does use a lot of water. Um, over here, I'm not going to talk about fishing grounds and the global hectares, but I'm going to talk about the built environment. If you've ever been in the city, um, did you, are you guys this year doing the Urban Challenge or was it last year? Uh, did? Last year. So if you're in the city of the Urban Challenge last year, you probably noticed the wind tunnel effect, okay, of, of the high-rise apartments and the shops going through the middle. There's not a lot of vegetation. It's what we call an urban heat island. There's a lot of heat. And you'll notice some of the places that made an effort to improve the ecological footprint by, if you were up near UTS, which I think you stayed up near there, UTS, they've got those buildings that have got, you know, vegetation growing down the side of it. So they're making efforts to improve it. So there's that side of it as well. Now, in the textbook, all right, if you scroll down, that bit of information there covers off those seven points. There is also a worksheet that I'm going to ask you to go to, which is on the right-hand side of the board, and I'll come to that in a sec. Then scrolling down a bit further, there are two terms that you need to be familiar with. The first one is biocapacity. What's the capacity of the land to hold aspects of the ecosystem, the biosphere? And then what is the actual footprint of people's use of it? And that's where those eight things come into play. The next section is there's a map. This map talks about the ecological debt map, okay? And you'll see there that it's got some colour coding. And it's got two things there that are really interesting. It's got a colour coding where it says the footprint is greater than the capacity. In other words, humans' use of that area of the land or that country that has land being used is basically really making the environment difficult to manage. Then the other side of it is where the where the bio sorry, the biocapacity exceeds the ecological footprint. And the flip side is the ecological footprint exceeds the biocapacity. And in the worksheet I've given you, because this will come up in the yearly exam, you need to interpret graphs and tables. So they'll give you some questions on there to look at the colour codes and work out which are more dominant than the other. Okay? And then finally, a bit further down, there is an ecological footprint and biocapacity worksheet. You will find that by going to Canvas and go into the section called Environment and Change. I think it's the only one I've got published. I've got other worksheets there, but they're not published. And then the next thing is there's the worksheet 13.11, which is an activity based on this work just here. All right? So what I'm going to do now is, is give you a copy of these sheets. These sheets are on Canvas, so those students who are at home in isolation, you can go to Canvas and you can print it off or you can just write them out as activities. And... 
that's a wrap for the work that we'll be doing for the next period or so. So I'll just pause the, um, the audio and I'll make this audio, if it's not too big, I'll email it to the class. Otherwise, I will put it on a podcast channel I have. I have doesn't identify anyone, so you can be able to link it there and listen to it if you want to. So that's all from me. Thank you very much.